Hi, everybody. I am Peter Travers. This is Popcorn, where we talk about what's out there at the movies. And there's a movie out there now called Falling. Viggo Mortensen, my guest, is starring in it. But this time, in this movie, Falling, he also directs. It's the first time. It's his featured directing debut. And it's, in many ways, a tough story. But it's Vigo to me. It's him saying, I'm going to take this on and see what happens. And what happens is so incredibly moving. So Vigo, welcome. Good to have you here. Thanks, it's wonderful to see you again. Falling, what, I can't say what attracted you to this because you wrote it. This is something that came out of your own head and it feels very personal to me, but Mm -hmm. I don't know just how personal it is. It is personal, but it's also, um, I mean, it's largely a fiction. It's a fictional family. But the foundation of it, it is feelings I have for my mother, especially, but uh, by connection to my father as well and to my childhood and adolescence. So there are elements of truth, as far as I remember, and all memory is subjective, uh, that have to do with my upbringing and even with the aspect of dementia that's, that's dealt with in the story. I've had a lot of experience with that, both my parents, stepfather, grandparents. I've, I've seen it up close, been a caregiver. And it's something I wanted to explore. I wanted to explore the limits, if there are any, of communication, especially with people that you have a hard time communicating with. Mm-hmm. Are there, I wanted to just more than anything, ask questions rather than give answers. Ask myself questions and maybe ask the audience, are there people that you can't communicate with? Are there people... Obviously, there are people that maybe you don't want to communicate with. Are there people that don't deserve to be communicated with or listened to? I personally don't think so, but each person makes their own decision about that. It's, I wanted to find, I wanted to explore the idea of empathy, of communication. And the closer we've gotten to the release of this movie, which is February 5th in the US and Canada, um, Unexpectedly, and in a way, unfortunately, this movie and the the polarization, the conflicts within this family that it deals with, problems of communication, are more timely than ever. Well, I mean, we come in, the way I see it, at midpoint, even though your movie is, there's a great many flashbacks. And I should just say up front that basically you're playing a, a gay man with a father who is suddenly hit by the ravages of dementia. It's maybe Mm. even early onset, you know? And yet through the flashbacks and what we see, we see that this man has always been difficult. He's been more than a handful, you know? He's he's a bit of a racist in him. There's a person who can be a bully. And yet through the flashbacks too, we see that he's capable of love. Yeah. He's hard to take and yet, we feel that we haven't seen, except toward the end of the movie, what it was like when your character decides, I'm not going to play it his way. You know, I'm going to try to give something that is empathetic rather than something that's hostile all the time. Is that yeah. your experience of it in your own life when you dealt with No, that? I mean, my father wasn't anywhere near as difficult to deal with. We had better communication than John and Willis do in this story, the son and father. But, but my father was a man of his generation. He was, he was not American, he was from Denmark. 
but he was raised on a farm, born during the Depression, went through the German occupation during World War II, ran away from home when he was 14, uh, you know, a self-taught person who then eventually, after he married my mother, moved to the United States, he somehow got into business school, finished it in half the time by doing night courses, like just a determined person, mm-hmm. very self-reliant. But like many men of that generation, he was a kind of, uh, even in his gentlest moments, a my way or the highway kind of guy. And that's just the way he was. And then he didn't adapt to changing times that well either. In the 60s, the 70s, it's like, what the hell is going on from their point of view? Why can't things just be the way they should be? And men are men and women are women, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So there was a bit of that with my dad. But but he was nowhere near as, it was not as much of a conflict as, you, as I depict in the movie. It's a fiction, as I say. This story, even though it became a father-son story, uh, uh, basically, the moral conscience, the, like the... the 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 fulcrum emotionally morally of the story really is is the mother for me is Gwen played by Hannah Gross and uh, the inspiration and the reason that they argue a lot you know both father and son and also father and daughter my sister played by Laura Linney the bone of contention is Gwen a lot so that was an important role and I I guess that character resembles my mother and my relationship with that character in, in the movie is more like my relationship with my mother than, than the relationship with the father is like my own father. There's, there's a lot of you that I see in this character in terms of how you play it and also how you directed and wrote it, which is nature. Um, you know, we see this man, he grew up, and loved the farm. He loved it. He related to the horses, to the ants, just like you do, you know? There's something about nature where the best of him somehow is shown when he's with these animals. He can't seem to bring the empathy he has for them to his actual family, which- Or to people in general. Yeah, it's just kind of tragic when that happens. It is sad, it is sad. And, um, you know, it's no accident that the first third of the movie threaded through it is this sequence that has to do with a duck, the sequence of events, right? Mm -hmm. From seeing it, shooting it, bathing with it, sleeping with it, plucking it, cooking it, and then finally, you know, eating it, sharing it uh, that way. Um, That's that son that grows up to be your character. Uh, Sleep with the duck. He lets him do that. He does something. Well, yeah, that whole thing, the duck story was a way to introduce, among other things, what you're talking about, the relationship that that family has with nature. Mm-hmm. Also, I suppose, with life and death and all that, but with nature. Did you all grow up for a time on, on a farm? I grew up in part. I grew up in both cities and farms. I mean, I learned to ride horses when I was a really little, was, mm-hmm. you know, when I, when I could walk, kind of. And, um, and my dad was someone who was raised on a farm. Um, and he introduced me and my brothers at the earliest possible age to camping, to knowing how to make a fire, to forests and rivers and animals and fishing and hunting and all those things. So, yeah, that was very much part of my upbringing. In terms of your parents, how did they react to you being an actor? Differently. My mother, I mean, the first time I went to a movie house to see a movie was with my mom. She took me when I was three years old and she took me constantly. 
first movie I remember from start to finish, I was four years old. My mom took me to see Lawrence of Arabia. Whoa. And I remember talking with her in the intermission. And she was asking me, like, almost like as equals, like, what do you think of what we've seen so far? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Those camels look difficult to ride, you know. And, and she said, well, you know what I think? I think that the British soldiers, the English, I'm not so sure they're really wanting to help Lawrence and his Arab friends, you know, as much as we'd like. What do you think? And I was, you know, obsessed with the camels. And I said, well, I think Lawrence, you know, and his friends know a lot more about camel riding than the British and, uh, and the desert. They know a lot more about that, too. So I think they'll be all right, Mom, which is kind of what happened. Um, <laughs> and so that was our first sort of film conversation. And then, and I thought that was normal. And then we kept doing that. And those conversations became more detailed. One day I was coming home from university and I said, mom, there's a new movie that I've seen. I want to see it again because there's a lot to take in. Let's go see it. The Deer Hunter. So we saw this movie and we had one of those conversations after it. I remember her talking in detail about things that were in, of interest to me too. You know, the Meryl Streep's character's life, what we don't see. I mean, what she always talked about was what you see and what you don't see, what you're told and what you're not told. And I probably from her, I got this interest in seeing movie stories where the director didn't tell me everything I should think and feel, mm -hmm. where there was some room left there, where by the quality of the storytelling in the first 10, 15 minutes, I was willing to go along and I was willing to participate in the telling, filling in the blanks. But this was less so with your dad. That he and so with my dad, so she always, and when I started acting, she was really into it and she knew a lot about movies mm -hmm. and you know she would ask me who are you auditioning for what's that and what they've done and sometimes she would know more than me she'd say oh yeah he directed this and that and um my dad was sort of more practical it's not something he knew about and cared that much about i mean he liked to go to movies but he was like can one make a living from this it seems you've been trying for several years and you're still bartending and you're moving furniture and you're yeah. selling ice cream on the street and it that you know i mean one the next audition why don't you wear a suit and a tie i said dad if i'm going in to try out for a serial killer that would be silly or comb your hair or something i don't know you know he'd had other and he would you know after a, several years he said well you're clearly not making a living maybe it's time to try something else so it wasn't that he wasn't supportive, but he, he was trying to be supportive by saying, you know, wake up, this is not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Whereas my mom was like the opposite, you know, and when I finally did get a speaking part, it was in Purple Rose of Cairo, mm -hmm. it was cut out. And I said to her first, before anybody I said, mom, next Friday, go see it. Purple Rose of Cairo, Woody Allen, it's a good movie. And I have a really funny scene in it and you're going to like it. And she goes to see it, and then she calls me, and she goes, you're not even in the credits, much less in the movie. What are you talking about? And I said, I'm sorry, it happens sometimes. Unfortunately, not all directors tell their actors that they're Very harsh, you know, in that yeah. By the time of Lord of the Rings, were they able to share in that yeah. joy of that success? Well, yeah, then my dad, if anything, became even more proud and took ownership of it in a way. It was nice, you know, when, it's, when I started to make a living and it was clear that I had a career finally. Yeah. Um, then he was on board with it. Um, my, I remember the, the next movie I did, I was also cut out, Swing Shift, Jonathan Demi, 
also a speaking part, also a scene I told my mother, don't miss this movie. I think you'll like it, you know, because you'll remind you of World War II and the newsreels and all that stuff. And she goes to see it and you're not in the credits, you're not in the movie. What the hell are you doing in New York? I've heard about this crack thing. Is it this crack? Is that what you're doing? Because you're not doing any acting in movies, you know? And I said, no, mom, I really was in the movie. I'll give you Jonathan Demme's phone number if I can find it. And you can tell, I, he also didn't, why don't they tell you when they've cut you out of the movie? I said, I don't know. If I ever become a director, I'm certainly gonna tell people if I cut them out of the movie. Well, you didn't cut yourself out of this movie, which was good, you know? Yeah. And you get all of those feelings with it. I don't know when they passed away and whether they were around when you got your Oscar nominations for Eastern Promises and Captain Fantastic and for Green Book, you know? This My is mom didn't, wasn't around for Captain Fantastic or Green Book, but with Eastern Promises, she had, she had, she had begun the beginning stages of dementia. But I said, Mom, come with me to the SAG Awards. I sat down and she immediately started looking around the room and she goes, that's look at some old person. She goes, I think that's the guy. That's the guy who directed this and that 1952. She knew, she knew that's Julie Christie. And she's in that movie. Isn't she about uh, away from her? And I go, yep, that's right. She's nominated best sporting actress. That's John Travolta. And I go, yes, it is. And she goes, excuse me. And she got up and she just walked over and sat down next to him. And points over and goes, that's my son. And I'm like, oh my God. And I'm sitting there with my chicken and whatever. And, um, and she kept doing that all night. She kept getting up and going over and talking to people. And she knew a lot of people that I didn't know who they were and she knew who they were. Old stars, this, that, and the other. And new movies. She knew who, she was just a movie book. And um, so when she finally got back to the table after her last you know, walk around the room, she goes, where's my chicken? I said, they took it away, mom. You know, well, that's not nice. I go, well, you know, they got to serve a lot of people and the show must go on, as they say. And so the show ends and everybody's filing out, you know, and leaving. And she says, I'm starving. And so I asked and somebody did bring her some dinner. So I sat there and my mom's eating dinner and the place is emptying out. And then towards the very end and almost nobody there, Diane Lane comes walking by with somebody. And I had done Walk on the Moon with her, that movie. And she goes, hi, and she, is this your mother? And I go, it certainly is. And she goes, oh, and you're Diane Lane. And, I, and she goes, I certainly am. She goes, sit down. And she, so Diane sits down and she starts giving her, a, you know, like a point by point thing about Walk on the Moon. She says, you guys, you were both very good in that story, but you know what I had a problem with is this and that, and, but polite, but just like, like a film critic, you know? Yeah. And she said, but it's not your fault, of course. This didn't work. But, you know, overall, I would say excellent piece of work and really, really enjoyed it, really captured the moment and the time. I remember 1969. Anyway, well, I got I to gotta go. I said, yeah, Mom, she's, you know, we had to go, too. She goes, yeah, well, let me just finish this. And so Diane left and like that. And we went, it was the most wonderful night. I mean, and I wish, I wish she had lived. She would have loved to go to the other things, you know. I have to let you go, Vigo, but you know, we always end a little in song and you're in Spain and you've never done anything for me that was in Spanish. Can you, can you give me a little bit of something that might have evoked? Cause you also wrote the score for Falling. That wonderful mm -hmm. piano score. You know, mm -hmm. when do you just sit and do nothing? 
I can sing a silly, a silly song. You want a song in Spanish? A silly song that I remember from when I was a little boy that used to get us in trouble in class. And it was changing the lyrics of a very patriotic song in Argentina. It's really dumb. It's very short. So I'll sing that for you. Um, Punto asoma, hierro y goma. Los zapatos de mi abuela son de goma. Y los míos son de hierro para darle más trabajo al zapatero. And so what was that saying? <laughs> what was it saying? Um, well, the, the horizon is near. It's like sort of the beginning of this patriotic song. And as the horizon is near, iron and rubber. Um, my grandmother's shoes are made of rubber or have rubber soles and mine are made of iron to make the cobbler or the shoemaker's job harder. That's Whoa, really there's that. the direction. Okay, that can be your second film as director and do it. Vigo, it is always such a kick to talk to you. So Likewise. I hope that, you know, you stay safe during all of this and that we all do. And next time, I hope we can get just be together in the same room. It would be great. I do too. Yeah. And I wish you a, a belated, happy and healthy new year. To you, your family, your friends, to yeah. the people that you don't like, and to all those people that you don't know yet. Whoa. Oh, why not? I don't know. That's very expansive. I like that. <laughs> Take care, my friend. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>